Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Jennifer Rollins is an OBGYN and health coach and a mother to four energetic children. She teaches women with hormonal imbalances to listen to their wisdom of their own bodies so they can wake up rested, lose stubborn weight, and have energy. Jennifer and I have a wonderful and enlightening conversation about imposter syndrome. Welcome, Jennifer. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank Good. you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So as a fellow OBGYN, I always love to hear stories about um, your imposter syndrome journey and if, if you've had kind of the same intersections as I have. Yeah, so... For my journey as becoming an OB-GYN, I'm actually um, the only one in my family who ever went to college. So I have 27 cousins. I'm a, from a very traditional Italian family. My mom and dad actually got married. My mom was 16 and my dad was 18. And it was oh. just, neither one graduated from high school. So it was sort of a known fact that, you know, you just get married and you have kids. Like mm -hmm. that's what people did. That's what success meant in my family. Mm -hmm. So but it was never the way that I saw success. I always, you know, was in high school and I, it wasn't really very hard. And I'm like, you know, I think I could do this college thing. I mean, nobody in my family has done it, but I think I could do it. Mm -hmm. And so I actually had to um, go to my interviews alone. I had to fill out my applications alone. I mean, as wow. a side, as a, in high school, since I was so interested in science, like, let me tell you, writing an essay for college by yourself, <laughs> if you don't have imposters, if you don't feel like a yeah. fraud, <laughs> That's a perfect example of like, oh my gosh, I just it was so daunting to write all these essays for mm -hmm. college. But I just knew that I, I mean, I didn't want to sort of get married and have kids. So I ended up doing that all by myself. And in fact, my father told me if um, when I graduated from high school, like he would give me zero money or zero support. Like he's like, you know, I married your mom for <laughs> to have a stay at home wife. And that's the way I sort of see things to be. So I kind of did everything on my own. I went to undergrad and then I went to Central America for a year um, doing ecology research. And in that year I applied to medical school because I knew I liked helping people and mm -hmm. I just didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how that translated. And I figured all I could do is go into medical school and worst I could do is just leave. Mm -hmm. Like if, if it didn't work, if it wasn't me, if I couldn't handle it, then I'll just do this. But I always had feelings of feeling like a fraud. Like mm -hmm. I always had feelings like, why is, why do I think this is my, my family's values are not good enough for me. Mm -hmm. Like, why can't I just be like everybody else? You know, mm -hmm. because those are always those feelings when you're doing things by yourself. Yeah. But I just always had to, my, my grandmother actually never went to college and, um, in World War II, she served as a nurse because, you know, when all the men were gone, mm -hmm. like, they had to use women to, to do things, even if they had no background. And so my grandmother always was the one who was like, no, no, girlfriend, just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why not? Like, mm -hmm. just do something different. Like, you're not really like everybody else. You need to just do it. So I kind of always had her in the back of my, my brain every time I was like, what am I doing? Like, mm -hmm. why am I taking physics? Why mm -hmm. am I <laughs> doing these classes? Like, all, and at the time, you know, when you're, you have cousins, they're all getting married. Mm -hmm. They're starting their families in their twenties. Like they're doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. But instead I just sort of listened in that back of that voice that was like, this isn't me. This yeah. isn't what I see as 
my path. So that, I think, as you go through those sorts of processes and try to figure out, you always feel like you're the, the you're the person everybody's aiming at in the room. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't belong. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's not the one that should be here. Like, you know, there are other, there are other um, paths she could be on instead mm-hmm. of the one that she's on. But I tried to find in my journey, people who could support me, people who could um, let me be their sounding board, even if it wasn't my family, and tried to surround myself as much as I could around those people that um, could let me be me, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. So did you find that, like, as you got into probably past college, more into medical school, where you had classmates who, you know, everybody in my family is a doctor and all of those things. Did that bring up those feelings of imposter syndrome too, given your background? Well, I definitely, you know, when you get into graduate school, medical school, a lot of people have families with Mm -hmm. doctors and lawyers and high, high um, performing professionals. And so always I'd be in a room, you know, in with your residents, your fellow residents, and they would talk about their family dynamics. And I just was always felt like I did not belong. Mm-hmm. Like I do not belong here. These people, and even having conversations, like I couldn't relate to most of those things because again, nobody else, you know, nobody else I could really talk to my family about what was going through my head and, you know, how difficult medical school was and how much stress and pressure it was because mm-hmm. nobody had been through it. So when, you know, when people have these conversations about their family dynamics, their Thanksgiving or their holiday mm-hmm. time, and my sister's doing this in Washington and my brother-in-law is doing this, it would be like, mm, my, my sister has no children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I just didn't have the same family dynamics. I yeah. always feel like that, um, you know, why did, why did the medical school choose me? Mm-hmm. Like, why did they let me in? Mm-hmm. Like, they must have missed something on my application. Yeah. <laughs> they must have not read in the details because... Uh, you know, I, how did they pick me in here? I remember distinctly, I didn't actually get into Stanford. I wanted to get into Stanford. And a third of the application is, who do you know? Do you, are you affiliated with an alumni? Like it's, wow. there's a huge section on, do you know anybody who went to Stanford? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there in that application going, I don't even know anybody who went to medical school. Like mm-hmm. my, my doctor who I saw when I was a child was in the military. So if mm-hmm. you've ever been, had a military dad or family member, like you literally stand in line. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no sort of relationship or there's no right. sort of doctor dynamic. So I didn't even really know what being a doctor meant because you just stand in line. And then when you're the next person up, you mm-hmm. go see the, the, the general GP that's sitting there. So yeah. definitely many times in medical school and in residency for sure, because people are very focused on your specific specialty and what they want to do. And mm-hmm. OB is very high demanding residency that I all, oftentimes was up there giving presentations like, why did these people let me in? Like, (laughs) what was going on in their brains when they said that I should be here? You know, it is it is so interesting that when you you bring up that you're sitting around and with other people and what makes you feel and everyone's the same, what makes us feel like we belong has so much to do with our past, and where we came from, and almost nothing to do with this desire that comes about of what we want to do with our lives, because it almost would make more sense logically that you belong somewhere in a group of people because you all have a similar goal, like future goal or, or desire to help other people. And that's what is the common ground. 
But so many of us, and this is probably why imposter syndrome is such a big deal, we all just say my past is dictating this, so that means I don't belong. Instead of saying our common ground here as a group is what brings what we're, we're brought together by our goal and our desire to help other people, but we don't focus on that, which is interesting to think about. Yeah, I think in order to sort of get into that imposter syndrome, you have to have a little bit of comparitis, right? You have mm-hmm. to have a little bit of um, what am I different? How am I different than this person next to me? Why are they successful at something mm-hmm. or why, what am I missing? I think it kind of gets you in that snowball effect of feeling that fraud feeling because, you know, if you didn't have any comparitis, you probably wouldn't have imposter syndrome. <laughs> like if you, right. if you didn't have any feeling that I'm not as good as this person sitting next to me, when I, you know, in residency, like, you know, a little bit about each other, but you really don't know anything about their background. Like, mm-hmm. you know, probably if we sat together and actually discussed our back, our past, we would probably find a lot of commonalities mm-hmm. in other people, but you don't know that you just sort of see somebody right. from the outside and figure that person has everything together. They have all these lawyers and doctors in their families. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they have everything that they could have. And, you know, I don't, so maybe there's something wrong with me. And I, I wonder whether or not if we, if there was no comparitis, will we ever have imposter syndrome? You know, will we just yeah. sort of our own path? Right. I don't think so because it's it's exactly right that we have these brains that everyone everyone's brains tells them the same thing, and so few of us ever question that. So, the you know we're sitting around saying we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, and so is the person next to you who we think is like the be all end all and the perfect perfect example of whatever we want to do. And it's interesting because it's just that one question that needs to be asked is like, what defines good enough and who defines it? But no one has never taught us that really. I mean, so few of us have ever said out loud to us, like your brain, you're going to have these thoughts and they have absolutely nothing to do with you and they can be questioned. And it's that basic foundation, I think, that can change the course of your life. Yeah, my husband frequently tells me whenever I sort of say, you know, I wonder if someone's going to think that uh, I should have done better on this. He frequently says to me, Jen, I promise they're not thinking about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're thinking right. about themselves. So I try to remind myself when I start getting into those spiral effects where I'm like, well, I wonder if I could have done this better or she would have wanted this mm-hmm. from me or maybe I could have, um, you know, presented this or I always remind myself he became sort of my grandmother's voice of like, yeah. 90% of the time, people are really thinking about themselves. Exactly. About so don't waste your energy on trying to worry about what other people are thinking about you when really most people are really focused on themselves. It's so true. And I, um, I brought, bring this up in the course that I have about other people's opinions, but we all think that everybody in the room is focused on us and what we're doing right and wrong. And they're only, they're doing the same thing. And we can easily get into this spiral, exactly like you said, where I wonder if they think I'm doing a good job. Like for a lot of surgeons, maybe this happens to you, like in the OR, you're wondering like, does the scrub tech think I'm as good as my partner? Or is the anesthesiologist thinking I'm going too slow? And it's like, they're probably, the anesthesiologist is probably on their phone, you know, or worrying about the patient if they're not stable. The scrub tech's probably thinking about their weekend. No one cares. And we, yet we get so distracted by it. And the other thing that's so important that to really grasp is that other someone else's opinion of us has nothing to do with us, really. But it's hard to really understand that. But when you think about yourself, like your opinions about other people have 
really fundamentally nothing to do with them. It's all about your life experience and also your perception of them that's based on your past. And I think that it's easy. It's, it's super common and we all do it to worry about other people's opinions, but there are reminders that we can use, I think that are helpful when you get into the spiral of, you know, opinions and comparison on all of those things. Yeah. I had a recent um, experience where I got to be, I was on a panel of physicians and we were talking about um, having an organized life, like organization in your life. Mm-hmm. And I had agreed to be on the panel because I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm OB, I have four children, yeah, I have a million systems to be able to function. I'm starting this business. Um, and so I, I was like, oh, I could totally do this. And then I get on the panel and I'm one of four and the other three physicians are like, like strategy people for hospitals. Like they've done, mm-hmm. they've done public relations and they've done they're like uh, strategy people to sort of put systems into hospitals. I mean, they clearly were way over my expertise when it comes to coming up with strategies. And so when we first started talking, I had to, I, I like forced myself to take three deep breaths and it was mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't feel like I fit here. Like, I don't feel like I belong. I don't have the level that these people have. They've done education clearly and have done, have figured out how to help this a bigger system but I'm a mom of four kids. Yeah. So I'm just going to go from it from the perspective of like the average Joe who has four kids and a job and trying to balance, balance everything else. And so I just tried to like, you know, dig, dig deep and kind of remember those times I've had as I went through college and medical school and said, yeah. I'm just going to be me and be the average Joe. And like, let's talk about it from that perspective. And I, and that was, I had to refocus my attention mm-hmm. instead of, sitting there looking at all these people with all their big words and big vocabulary and mm-hmm. terms. I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. I just said, you know what, I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring it from my perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just going to focus and let's do this. And thank goodness you did that because I bet there were so many people in the audience who were feeling like I have no idea what these people are talking about. And they're like, thank goodness Jen is here talking about real life stuff, you know? And that's, if you hadn't been able to do that for yourself, all those people would have been left with big words that were not useful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, these people are very smart. <laughs> they clearly have MPAs or something. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know what it's like to juggle four children's sports, an OB yeah. job, delivering babies at 2 a.m. Yeah. There should be a degree for that. All of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or we should be rewarded with five minutes of alone time in the bathroom. Oh yeah. (laughs) Where the house isn't being colored on or painted. Yeah. Destroyed. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to touch on something you brought up right at the beginning because it's super important. When you said that wasn't like what your family, how, how you're like the values of your family and what the success meant to them. And you just knew from a young age that that is not how you defined success. And I love that you said that because it brings up a really important point that we as individuals decide what makes what it, what successful means. And I think a lot of us get trapped in successes researching, like being on so many publications or being the chair of the department or going into a really good medical school instead of going, asking yourself, like what does success mean to me and why? So I don't know if that seems to come naturally to you. Yeah. I mean, I think I wouldn't have started this business if I didn't say to myself, what does success mean to me now? Mm -hmm. I think 
you know, a lot of people who pivot from what they're used to doing in medicine and then go to do something else have to at some point say, success means this to me, as opposed to, yes, I could be in a job for 25 years and retire and, you know, have my name on the wall, Mm -hmm. but that's not really what it meant to me, or that's not where I see myself. In fact, I never knew I was going to be in medicine. So that concept of being somewhere for 25 years and having my name on a wall, I've never seen that in my future just because I didn't even know that existed. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think a lot of us who've sort of pivoted uh, to follow our passion, who are creating side businesses and and successful businesses, we have to sort of continue to define our success. Mm -hmm. And sometimes success just means taking courses or getting certified in life coach school and never doing anything with it. It might be that that's success for us. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to always kind of relook inside ourselves and figure out what does, what, what, what is success? What is, what makes me happy? And, right. and, and it doesn't always have to be somebody else's goals. I mean, it certainly, I didn't, I was not successful. My grandmother, frankly, told me, uh, not the grandmother that supported me, but my Italian grandmother told me that, that um, I'm trying to think of her exact words, but basically she said she was disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. I was 24 years old. I was in medical school and she just said, you know, you're a disappointment. Oh and I, my my, at one of my cousin's weddings, and I was like, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And it was really hard because I felt mm-hmm. like maybe I am. Like maybe mm-hmm. she's right. Look at all these cousins that are married with children. They seem pretty happy. Like maybe I am a disappointment. But I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. And um, it wasn't something that I, I just didn't feel that yeah. that, that was me. Um, ultimately, actually, two years later, my, my grandfather got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she was meeting with a doctor and the oncologist and she couldn't understand what was going on. Like she didn't understand the treatment options. It was very confusing. She had a very hard time with it. She was thinking she was going to take my grandfather to Mexico and try all these treatments. And so I drove from San Diego and medical school to Arizona where she lived. And I sat with them on all the appointments for several weeks and explained it to my grandmother. And that was the turning point for her. Mm-hmm. She basically was like, Oh, Okay. Like, this seems, I get it now, you know, I mean, she was never fully like, you know, a cheerleader, but she understood why this was something I wanted to do. And ultimately, it changed my relationship with her Mm -hmm. and how she felt about um, women having educations. Yeah. Wow. It's such an interesting story. So do you mind like, so your family now, like your parents and that kind of thing, like, have they seen the light as well? (laughs) Yeah, my dad actually... um, went to my college graduation mm-hmm. and I, you know, I told him I was going to go off to Central America and do a bunch of research for, with UC Berkeley in ecology. And he was just like, all right, like, <laughs> okay, lady, <laughs> fine. You know, whatever. I already realized like you're not. And interestingly enough, when I was in high school and applying for college, my mom went back and got her, um, went to, got her GD, but then she went to college and ended up being a triple major. So my mom, wow. degree, which then I think both of us with my father was like, oh God, like, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> this is not going to work. You know, like these women are going to get smart. <laughs> and, you know, he was my, in medical school, he was my biggest advocate. Like he mm-hmm. was, anytime I would, you know, always in your first year, I think almost every student kind of goes, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. This is the worst idea ever. Like who mm-hmm. <laughs> put me here? And so I would call him just crying like, this is hard. Like, oh my gosh, like these people are so smart. I'm not on the top anymore. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. and so he would always just be like, Jen, just do it. Like you can do it. 
Like you, your personality is you get in there and you just do it. So he turned into my biggest advocate. And even now, whenever I have, when I made this decision to switch, you know, to, to quit private practice and go into hospitalist work, I called my father and I was like, oh my gosh, am I being crazy? Like, is this, why can't I just be the person who just continues to push on? And he was like, cause you're never, you've never been that person, mm-hmm. you know? And he's like, this is not you. That's never been you. Yeah. So you've always listened to your intuition and done what you did and it's been successful. So just do it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of interesting how you just sort of live by example and those people start to come into your world. Yeah. They start to sort of see that this is who you are. They just didn't know that's who you were. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so before we end, do you mind talking about, because with your recent shift from, you know, being in a career for, for however many years and now switching to, to start a new business, um, how have you been dealing with imposter syndrome? Oh, man, I'm still dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a daily battle, right? Some days yes. are good, some days are bad. Some days you wake up and you say, I believe in myself. I believe I can do this. I, you know, I have to invest in myself. You know, Warren, there was a, that great, great quote by Warren Buffett. That's like your best investment you will ever make is in yourself. Mm-hmm. So some days I wake up and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Like I'm in it to win it. And some days I wake up and I'm just like, who am I? Like, why yeah. would anybody listen to me? Why would they want me to be their health coach? Why would they, you know, why would, why would this happen? Like, people, I do well in private practice, like, what am I doing? You know, it's always a battle. I think every day, I think what I try to do is um, first thing in the morning, I have a five minute app, a five minute journal. It's on app. Yeah. Literally ask me questions. It says, um, you know, what are you going to do today? And then it has says, I am. So it's an affirmation. Like I am what scared today, freaked Mm -hmm. out today, happy, like what it is. And then it says, what are my goals for today? And that really helps me kind of center the day, Mm -hmm. try to figure out, you know, I, I told myself this morning that I'm going to get through this day with um, being positive. And so anytime I have those doubts during the day, I try to look back on it and remind myself, like, today I said I was going to be positive. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to stick to my goal, you know, like I try to do that. And I think it helps me to sort of, it's almost like that, you know, some people are really good at meditation. Some people are good at taking breaths or have tapping or whatever uh, modality they use. But for me, it's, I'm kind of a list gal. So going back and looking at that when I'm having those moments in the middle of the day helped me to kind of, uh, you know, reshift myself and, and get back into the sort of intention for the day. I love that. And I, I think anytime you can start your day off really about you and not answering to other people is going to be super powerful. Um, so who do you help now? Let's, you want, do you mind telling my listeners who you help and where, where they can find you and all those things? Yeah. So I have a health coaching business and I, my um, website is, well woman it's w-o-m-a-n-m-d.com and um, i offer digital courses with group coaching and then also one-on-one coaching so you can find me on i'm on instagram and facebook and then my website great and i'll leave all those links as well so they can find you it's been so great to have you here jen thank you so much thank you